Right, welcome, guys. Powerful time, eh? Powerful time of, of music and declaration of, of who he is. So oh, thanks, yeah. thanks, guys, for, for leading us in that. Um, we're going to jump straight back into it tonight, continue on this theme of hearing. And like we heard this morning, um, this is a particular kind of hearing, hearing by the Spirit. Um, and so if you've got your, your resource, if you just want to open up to page four, because we're just going to work our way through a few of these scriptures before we get into our key passage for this evening, which is in Deuteronomy chapter 4. But like we talked about this morning, I just want to read this, this out to you. It says, talking about the um, hearing this particular word, it says, This is a spiritual word and a spiritual language. Just, so just like in the natural, when we learn another language, we actually need to learn what it is to hear the spiritual substance called the Word of God, which is being spoken. Jesus said, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits you nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You'll see there's a couple of questions in your book. Who is it that gives us life? And what are the words that Jesus speaks? You know, like we were talking about this morning, hearing by the Spirit is very different to hearing by the natural. And the words that are given by the Holy Spirit are not words that are learnt intellectually. They're words that are received and they're imparted by the Holy Spirit. And I love this verse here. It's the Spirit who gives life. The The flesh profits you nothing. The words that I have spoken to you and are spirit and life. So what is he saying? He's saying the words that I speak to you are words that come from another dimension. They, they're eternal words. They come from the eternal spirit of God and they come to make their home in the depth of your innermost being. Not just like we heard this morning from Chris, tickling your intellect, but actually making their home inside of you. And so it, to hear and receive that word is, is no more miraculous than Jesus rising from the dead. It's a supernatural transaction of power infused and implanted into you. And so it says here, True worshippers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. To not know the Spirit and to not be able to hear the words of the Spirit is to not be able to worship God the way that God instructs. True worshippers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He's not saying that true worshippers have this dual position where they've got a bit of Bible reading and they've got a bit of spiritual activity and bring those two together and they're a well-rounded Christian. Actually, you're a totally unbalanced Christian flip-flopping from one side to the other. True worshippers are those who have this posture of spirit-infused life where Christ himself, the word of God, is being revealed within you. And it's interesting that Paul talks about his encounter with God, and he doesn't say that, that God revealed himself to him. It says that the Holy Spirit revealed Christ in him. And it's, the, and it's this position of spirit and truth, Christ in us, that makes us true worshippers. It's people who worship from a true, intimate knowledge of who God is, having had that knowledge revealed by the Spirit of God within them. Yeah. 
It's really fascinating where that passage of scripture is. So it's in John 4 with the woman at the well. And so he says to her, you worship what you don't know. Before he says this to her. That's fascinating, isn't it? You're actually worshipping something that you don't know. We can do that too. And so then he leads into true worshippers worship from spirit because the spirit hadn't been poured out yet. So she can't worship in spirit and truth because the Holy Spirit hasn't been poured out into her. So she ends up worshipping what she actually doesn't know, but she thinks she knows it. And this is the challenge. It's the Holy Spirit as you reveal. So then we actually have a genuine praise and a genuine worship because it's hearing the spiritual word that enables this true demonstration, not just singing songs. So it's fully possible to worship a God you actually only know about but really don't know of. And so I find that fascinating where that and the context for all that because he actually even says to her, doesn't he, actually I'm the Messiah, and she completely doesn't hear that, does she? Because she's not yet a worshipper of spirit and truth because if she was, she would have heard it when he said, a bit like the disciples, yeah? Absolutely, you know, and so, so we could say that true worshippers aren't those who sing good songs, but they're those whose life is a response to the one that they've come to know, you know. So we've got here, the word is coming from another dimension called the eternal realm, an unseen but seen realm. Its origin is set in the eternal dimension, not the temporal or the natural. Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now right there, that is a word, that's a passage that should stop you in your tracks, hey, you know, by faith we understand that the worlds, the worlds were prepared by the word of God, you know. And so if there's any evidence for why the word of God is not just spoken literal words, it's this. Because have you ever managed to actually create anything by your physical spoken words? You know, you can't stop the rain by your spoken words. You can't fix your car when it's broken. You can't change another person's heart by your spoken words. Our spoken words have a very limited capacity, and yet with a word, God was able to create all of creation. And he's saying it's that, the, the, the substance of that very word is what, is what we're to receive inside of us. And so if he's capable of speaking the entire of the earth and the heavens into being with a word, do you think that he has the power and ability to create his world within you by his power? You know, And it immediately takes the onus off us and off our intellectual ability to understand what he's saying and places it in the hands of a God who is almighty and all-powerful and not only that, all-willing to infuse and impart into us the same substance, the same creative, powerful, dynamic life that created all of creation. And I would have to say that that word is even more powerful than the word that spoke creation into being because this physical earth we know is perishing. It says in Peter that it's going to be burnt up by intense heat. And yet the word of God lasts forever. And so the word that's spoken received in us 
has the same power and yet the source of it is eternal and, and lasts forever. I love how it says the worlds are. So like we've been looking at, everything's finished. So it's finished before it began. So the worlds, the new heaven, the new earth are already there waiting. It's already been created. And that's why we've got to be able to hear this word, because it's already done. So we're to be living from an already realm that exists, and our lives are to be infused into that realm now. So we live in accordance to that realm. I really hope we're getting this, because it's massive, because it stops you creating your own life. You don't need to create your own life. You need to find the life that's hidden that already exists. And then you live in accordance to that. So the reason why Peter was chopping off ears in the garden was because he didn't know that what was already pre-established and written. So he's living opposite to how he should have been living. So Jesus said to him, do you not know what has already written? Did you not know it had to happen because I'm living from an invisible place but on earth? So this has to happen because it's written, it's going to you're not seeing it because you're not yet a man of faith. So you're living opposite to what's written. You're not moving with me. You're against me. So you see how important faith is through hearing? Is if you can't see, more likely you'll be going the opposite way to the way God's going. Cool. So you know, it's our inability to hear in this way of the Spirit means faith will not be formed and established within us which means we remain spiritually blinded to the dimension we are to see and know. Like the verse we read this morning, and it's, 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 that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. In other words, we'll be, we will literally live like we are disabled Christians. You know, We won't have the capacity spiritually to live out what it is that he calls us to unless we're equipped and empowered by faith to be able to live in the way that he predestined us to live. So Ephesians 1, 17 to 20, that, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what the, is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his, his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believed. These are in accordance with the working of his strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Interesting here that it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. God said to the Israelites, because they didn't see any form when he spoke to them from the burning bush, but they only heard the sound of his words, his voice, they had not to act corruptly and make a graven image for themselves in the form of any figure, in the likeness of male or female, animals, birds, insects, fish, the sun, moon, stars, where you are drawn away and worship them. In other words, don't make me in the form of things you can see naturally because you haven't seen me, because you can't hear me. And that brings us to our scripture for this evening, Deuteronomy chapter 4. So if you've got your Bible there, just turn to Deuteronomy 4. 
And I'll just read this. Been so self-controlled this evening. We've read all of the passages in the notes. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Then the Lord spoke uh, spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form, only a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land which you were going over to possess it. So watch yourself carefully, since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, so that you don't, or do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of, of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water below the earth. And beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven and be drawn away and worship them and serve them. Those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. Powerful verse, eh? Real powerful verse. I'll just read that first, uh, verse 12 again. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form, only a voice. And so here we see... Deuteronomy is, is summarizing and paraphrasing from a scene that's taken place in, in Exodus with Moses, where God spoke to them. And it's interesting that he says that he specifically spoke to them and they didn't see his physical form. They only heard a voice. And, and God was, it says he was very specific in choosing to, to speak to them and not give them an image. And it says it's so that they don't create, go and create their own image of who he was. And now it can be so easy to read these scriptures in Deuteronomy and think, well, I don't have a shrine to a fish in my bedroom, you know. But actually, you might not have a shrine of a fish, but actually for, for, so, for almost all of Christian history, the, the church had been creating God in their own image. And so what he's talking about here is not shrines. He's talking about you trying to understand God and trying to work out who God is and defining God based on your own intellectual capacity and ability. You interpreting who you think God is and even more dangerously who you want God to be as opposed to receiving this word and hearing the, the voice, hearing the word of who God is that births faith within you so you can see who God is from his perspective, that he defines who he is and that he reveals himself within you. So now you've got a real living knowledge of who he is, a true reference, absolutely. And so it ties in with what we were looking, about, looking at last week, where it says that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of man's own interpretation. 
Now, those verses, are essentially, these verses just repackaged in a completely different way. No prophecy of Scripture is open to our own interpretation of who we think God is and who we want Him to be. And I have to say that just like we're not to create God in our own, in our own image, we're not to create what we see, the body of Christ, or anything that God talks about in our own image. Otherwise, if we do, we'll find ourselves repeatedly and constantly disappointed at what, at what we put on people and what we put on God, and our expectations will always fall through because we've got a version of who we want him to be and who we want people to be, and they can't perform to meet what we think. And so these verses are so essential and so key that we must hear through the way that we've been talking about hearing this morning by the Holy Spirit, that allowing God to create his world within us, his version of who he is and his version of who we are so that we can live as his own position here um, as you know, while we still have breath. So that's a challenge for us this evening at 6 o'clock. We're going to try and keep this our very best at half an hour and then half an hour of questions. Noel is. Um, I've given him the hard word. He tends to, you know, talk a little bit too much. So he's he's been warned in advance. <laughs> but guys, Noel, I don't know if you want to kick us off, mate. Um, from, you know, from the scripture in Deuteronomy, why is it so essential that we hear the way that God intends, and why was it? That he, that he spoke to them and they heard his voice, but they weren't to see his form? Um, why is it? Because I think it's, it is never the purpose of God for people to worship form. You know, when you talk of God, he is separate from creation. He is, he is not a created being. He is the uncreated one. And there's only one uncreated one in existence, and that's him. Everything that we see is created. And so when, when, when God speaks, he, he is spirit, and so he can come in any created form, but it is not meant for man to worship creation, whatever that may be. And so the only creation that is valid and acceptable is Christ. And that is the only creation that is acceptable to the Lord. And so when, when God speaks, he speaks in, in spirit. But when he speaks his word in the physical, it will always generate the form, whatever that may be. So we can say that you know when revelation comes, there's always a manifestation of glory. When word is spoken, there's action. When, when God does things, there's always a form. But the danger for man is man to elevate the form and call it God. And that is, that is very, I mean, it's hateful to God because one, when you take creation and elevate it to God, you reduce God to the form of that creation. And he is far more than that. He is, he is never, the whole of creation can never compare to God. You reduce him to that form. And, and the second, um, second thing is, when you reduce God to the form of creation, you're no longer speaking in truth, because that's not him. Creation is never him in itself.
yeah that's my point. that's awesome <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> we don't get that response man <laughs> <laughs> alright guys this is your challenge next time Greg speaks give him <laughs> give him a bit of encouragement man you know, this guy needs a bit of He's, la- he's lacking in confidence, you know. He's gonna feeling a bit shorter on these chairs. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> How good was that? Yeah. So, so without losing what we just heard, and <laughs> gonna put our serious pants on, you know. About no, it does. It just as you're speaking, though, it reminds reminds me of um, of Romans one, you know, and it talks about. You know, the, the, the danger here and these people that um, Paul is talking about in Romans and how they went from, um, you know, worshipping the, cre- the, the creator to the creature, you know. The things that were created in, as, in a form of God but were never supposed to be worshipped in the place of God, you know. And so it is so dangerous to go from, you know, you know worshipping the creator to the, teach, uh, to, the, to the creature, eh? So that's that's awesome. What what about for you, Greg? You know why why is it so important? Um, you know that we hear in the way that God intends. I think the last few words: if we're going to be His own possession, then it's His word that creates the ability to be His own possession, and not your own possession. And so God gives everything that we need for life and godliness from His power. So everything he expects, he gives. He doesn't leave it hanging. He doesn't leave us having to do anything but receive. So if we are truly going to be his prized position, set apart, that we come out of the world, which is Egypt, and then get the world out of us because the world is in us because it's flesh, this is how he does it through his word. So it's imperative we hear his divine eternal word so we become his possession and not ours or someone else's and we also don't have possessions that are greater than him awesome how many words is that too that's why they're clapping mate that's why they're clapping <laughs> Let's have a discussion before we make it up. Come on. <laughs> no, that, that's awesome, you know. And I was, I was just reading this afternoon, the, the context here in Exodus, and I had never seen this before, you know, but do you know that the context for the Ten Commandments and Moses going to receive the Ten Commandments is actually he... The, what, what leads into that is he talks about bringing them out of Egypt to be a people of his own possession, you know, this, this holy nation, you know. And so you see the thread of his purpose all the way throughout the scripture that even though he brought in the Ten Commandments for a time and that the law was given, it was never to replace God's ultimate covenant, which was given as a promise He's calling you out of Egypt to be a people of his own possession. And that's who we're to be as the church, hey, you know. And I think that, that that's why it's so um, alarming when you see the people of God 
worshipping idols and living for things that aren't him because we have been called as his own precious possession, you know. The rest of the world can go and live as they want to live, you know. If you want to live for you, being a Christian is just not the place to be. You'll, you'll, con- you'll be constantly living against his predestined plan for your life and find yourself resisting the Holy Spirit, you know. Because he has such incredible plans for you, you know, and so that's why you know this is so massive for us to to wrestle with. And that possession is for a people group, yeah. So it's for the people of Israel, this Commonwealth of Israel. So the plans are once again for us. So it's not I'm just his possession; it's we are his possession, which is the bride, which are the sons of God. See, everything is not just one, even though God is one, it's we are a body made up of individuals. And so he's raising a people throughout the generations that are his possession. Adam, Isaac, Jacob, they are the people part of his possession. So this is our, this is our um, spiritual genealogy. <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're called to be one That's And inside that oneness There's a lane to you run There's a lane for me to run in But we're actually running side by side Towards the same goal Yeah, absolutely Sure Yeah, yep And that's the power of being in a smaller group, that you're walking with others and continuously being devoted to the word, prayer, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. So it talked around the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why not just the teaching? What's so special about the apostolic word that comes through the apostolic grace gift? That's number one. Aren't apostles the first gift? So what is it about the first gift that has a gracing for a particular function that produces a particular kind of work in the people of God? See, it's not just any word. Who was the chief apostle? Yeah. So there's an order that God has everything, isn't it? And the true apostolic word is the true knowledge of God. It's the plumb line in which he builds everything. It's the foundation in which he builds the structure upon. So we must have an apostolic. The word of God is apostolic. It's living, it's active, it does what it does. And so God supplies every gift, everything we need for the building of the house. Massive. Because, see, the challenge is a form of. Where do you hear that? Where else do you hear a form of something? A form of godliness. Okay? So you, can, you and I can create our forms of 
godliness. Because we have not only do we create God in our image, we create the way of God in our image. So not only we don't know who God is, we don't know the ways of God or the thoughts of God. Okay, So what you do is you end up creating a form of godliness that looks like godliness, but it's not. But only godliness is profitable for this life and the life to come. A form of godliness isn't. But you know a form and godliness can look exactly the same. But they're not at all on the inside. But they can look the same. So you need to hear me because if you look, you'll be deceived. But if you hear, you'll know. So this is why sight comes from the same place that hearing comes from. It's a kind of hearing that produces a kind of sight. So you know what you're looking at is God, not a former God. Anyone can get up here and preach from a book. doesn't mean it's the Word of God just because they're quoting scriptures. It can be their version of what that says. Now, if you don't have ears to hear, you believe it because they might look impressive, they might sound impressive, they may have a whole ministry behind them, but that does not mean they're preaching the word, the apostolic word that builds the house. So don't look, don't have number one as what you look at as being the thing. You need to be able to close your eyes and hear. I remember God sharing that with me about the movie the shack because that created quite a bit of a sticky point in the body because what you're looking at doesn't quite stack up with what's written God said to me tell people to go and close their eyes and listen to it and see if they hear God rather than get confused because what you're looking at is a woman a Holy Spirit's an Asian girl and the only one that really looks like Jesus is the guy because he's tanned and got black beard and stuff. But that's not who he is, is it? How does the Bible describe Jesus? Radiant, bright, wool-like hair, bronze feet, out of his mouth comes something. That's the Christ that we must see, not the guy that walked around in a flesh suit, even though he's the exact representation of the nature of the Father in a flesh suit. And so all of all of these elements have to come together, right? Eh? There has to be this kind of this kind of word that comes from a particular kind of preaching, which has to collide with a particular kind of hearing. And when all of the stars align, boom, you know, you get Christ being formed in the body of Christ, eh? you know, because you could the, what's what's declared could absolutely be the frequency of heaven, but if it doesn't if it um, if it's not received by faith, if it's not if it's not received by a humble and hungry heart, actually the the word has no it can be going out but have no effect. Hey, you know, or we can create our own version of what we're hearing, thinking that we've heard. And going away and talking with everyone else in our discipleship groups about what we've heard, but there's actually no change in our life, which means it's evidence of we've heard physically, but we may not have heard by the Spirit, eh? You know? And so that's the challenge is that for all of us, we're all in this together, eh? You know, it's not just 
The onus is not on me on a Sunday night to produce this in you. The onus is for me to play my role and to deliver what it is that the Holy Spirit has ministered and spoken. And the onus, there's as much of an onus on you as there is on us every time we gather, you know. But what was your posture coming into tonight? Did you, did you think about the gathering of the saints and what we were to be a part of together and playing your role or not even not even a functioning role but just a being role you know coming to be coming to fellowship coming do you hear what i'm saying and to me this is institutional christianity it's it's one-sided right you know one person plays their role and everyone else doesn't play their role but actually, there's very little value in that for anyone, particularly the person speaking, you know, who's going to get frustrated because actually the people aren't really keen to hear anyway. They just like to hear a nice message and, and then that's that, you know. But the true body of Christ is about participation in the gospel. It's about speaking a frequency that's from the Spirit. It's about receiving in you the Word of God that changes you, eh, you know. And so it's a very different dynamic than just an institutional um, model that ultimately leaves you high and dry you know um, um what is let me see <laughs> um the kingdom of god is totally different from the reality that exists today and you we see that in scriptures throughout and how jesus and it, to in a physical context it's it's like if we are all maybe kids five-year-old Six-year-old, and and you get someone to try to explain Einstein's theory of relativity to that five-year-old. So normally you have to bring it down to their level to get them to understand, and they can probably get a grasp of it. But it's not the full context of what it totally means. And so when when that's why when Jesus came, the kingdom of God, he was always saying, "It's like this, it's like that, it's like this." But you know, but it's the examples that he give is not really itself the kingdom. It's always, there's, there's he, he, even Paul, I think that's why he gets so frustrated. It's how can I explain what I have seen to you because you will not be able to receive it. And in fact, there might not be any words to describe fully the reality of, of God that he has experienced within himself. And, and so when, when, when Jesus, that is, that's the danger, I think, when people take an example or, or someone who tries to describe something and takes that and brings that away as, as if that is what it is. So, like, for example, a, a platypus. How many have seen a platypus? So if someone who hasn't seen a platypus would say it looks like a duck. And if, you look, if, if someone thinks of it as a duck, then you might go somewhere and say, yeah, it, it has two feet. <laughs> And has duck build and, and so on and so that would spread out. But the platypus is so unlike a duck. It's an egg laying, duck build, um, a beaver tailed, otter otter footed mammal. It's not even a bird. And so, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and so we cannot we cannot. That's how what we have been doing with the person of Christ, with God Himself. And so that's, that's the reason why there's so many variants, so many things, uh, people, you know, even, it's not just even revelation itself, it's action itself. You know, the, the word of God would create a form, and God says, serve. 
And then people see serving and say, oh, that's what God is, and so I'll just serve. But without the word of God implanted, that serving is useless, is futile. Um. That's, that's awesome, eh? You know? And I think what, what you've just heard from Noel is everyone has now heard a description of a platypus, right? And so for everyone, for everyone here in this room, as he was speaking, did that picture start to form in your minds, you know? I was like, oh, a platypus is like a duck. Oh, wait, it's not like a duck. It's got, what is it, otter-like feet. Uh, otter feet. And, and so you've, you've, you've heard something with your physical ears, and it's created a picture in your mind of what you see, right? In the, in the physical but so so that's a, a real thing that happens in our physical beings in our physical bodies, right? Now, to me, this is this is a, a shadow of what true hearing and true faith looks like. Except, true hearing has nothing to do with what's natural, because if you hear a natural word and you hear a word about Christ, you'll do what Noel just did to you, and you'll start to have a picture form in your mind of who you think God is based on a description that you've heard in natural words, and all of a sudden you think you know God because you've heard words that have described a picture. Does that make sense? Now the danger of that is, is that every single person in this room when Noel was sharing would have had a different vision and picture of what a platypus looks like based on the word that was delivered, right? Because your imagination has told you what a platypus looks like, not revelation. You haven't actually heard, you haven't actually seen. And so this, to me, this here is where the rubber hits the road because when uh, the, the, when the spiritual word is, is delivered, we can't with our natural minds interpret who we think God is and create a picture. Otherwise, my picture will be different to your picture and we'll have 30,000 denominations before we even leave this room, you know? But this is why we have to hear not a physical word, but a spiritual word. Because if we hear a spiritual word, it's the, word, the implanted word itself within us gives you faith. It gives you sight of who he actually is. So now you've got, like Greg said before, an actual reference point because you've received the substance of Christ within you. And now you can see from revelation and not from intellectualization of who we thought that he was always to be, you know? And so here to me, this is this these are the true dynamics that are at play every time the word's spoken. You got something to say? And the the, the other challenge of this is that we need to learn this now because the counterfeit is going to look like the real. So if we bought a duck and a platypus, we'd all go, that's the duck, that's the platypus, correct? But what's coming is going to look so real that you're going to be able to need to hear because true hearing produces true sight to see the difference between the angel of light, Satan, and Christ. Okay, So like everything, can you discern the difference between the true apostle and the false apostle, and how do you know? 
when they both look the same? Can you hear the difference between the true prophet and the false prophet, the true teacher and the false teacher, because they can look the same? So if we don't learn this now, when the true demonic thing turns up that looks like what you think Christ is going to look like, what are you going to do if you can't discern the difference? So how on earth does he almost deceive the elect? But he doesn't. Because the elect know, because they have heard and have true sight to see the difference when it looks the same, but it's not. Same, same, but not. Okay. Here's the other thing, as we were just talking, is God a bush? But he spoke out of a bush. Here's the thing, if you could go around saying it's, could the, it's the new bush ministry, do you know God's a bush? Because he spoke out of the bush, didn't he? Why does God never come in the form you think he does? He's testing us. See, he came in a guy called John the Baptist. That's not the form the religious institution expected him to come. They thought there was going to come an Ananias or Caiaphas. He comes in a bush He's born in a manger. He never comes in the form you think he's going to come. So if you're looking for a form that you think he should be in, you'll miss him every time. He comes and reaches out to fishermen, not the rabbis of the day. See, we're so temple-minded rather than this wilderness anchored and centered. He is the wilderness. He comes and rescues temple followers and takes them into the wilderness. John was in the wilderness preaching the word. He wasn't in the temple. Everyone's hanging out in the temple because that's the father's house apparently, but the guy with the word of the Lord is in the wilderness. Did John get it wrong? No. He knows exactly where he should be. Jesus, Jesus is a typology of the wilderness. He's unseen. There's a rock apparently in the wilderness and it's full of water, but the people can't see it, so they whinge and moan. Why have you brought us out to the wilderness and there's nothing here? And Moses is going, there's water in the rock. Can't you see it? What? No, it's a rock. No, can't you see it? See, it's so important you hear and see because what's right in front of you is right in front of you. But if you're looking always around the other way, if you don't know what's right in front of you, you're missing it. And it's exactly like Joseph said last night, you're... Always making spices for something you shouldn't be making spices for. And you're always found in the same position going around the mountain when you should have stopped. And this is our challenge because God's not in a bush, but he spoke from a bush. Is that rational? No. Is it logical? No. Is it reasonable? No. Is it revelational? Yes. And so the challenge is Moses could have walked right past that bush that day. Because God did not speak until Moses went and asked, why isn't the bush burning up? That's right. The man was curious. Are you curious? You have a curiosity about the spirit. So when you hear things that don't sound logical, rational, or right, do you go and not write it off and go, I'm going to search that out? Because the Bible says it was only when Moses approached the bush and asked the question that God spoke. How many people walk past burning bushes 
every day because it's not logical, rational. I don't know what that is. Who cares? Why? Because I'm going towards the temple thinking it's in the temple. I'm looking at what's impressive, but right in front of me is actually the law, but I can't get my eyes fixed off what looks impressive, but it's not. Sounds so right, looks so good, all the bells and whistles, and it may or it may not be, but you and I have to discern and know if it is. Because to give your life for it and to it, and if it's not, is just to live a form of godliness. And what you end up doing is you deny the power when it turns up in your life to create godliness, and you're always learning but never ever coming to the knowledge of truth that makes you free. And I think that this is, is so, so key, hey, you know, because, like, I think if, if you're not hearing in the way that he intends, you'll be creating this image in your own mind repeatedly based on what you see physically and naturally. So, for example, you know, if we, when we share a word about God being, the fa- being a father, if you don't receive that word through revelation, you will walk out of this door with a version in your head based probably on your own father or father figure that's been in your life, and it will define how you see God. But that, we should never, that should never be our starting point. You know, physical, a physical image should never be our starting point. It should never be able to create life. We have to be able to hear through, by revelation that creates a sight that creates a perspective of who God is and who we are that empowers us to live hey you know and so the, this this stuff is so massive you know and even in Deuteronomy that you know in this um, you know at this time Moses is talking to the Israelites and he's saying guys I'm, I'm going up the mountain and I'm t- going to deliver you the Ten Commandments and it says the whole mountain was covered in smoke so that they couldn't see they could only hear the voice you know and they said and there was a and there was a commandment given that said don't touch the mountain because if you touch the mountain you your animals your sheep everything else that's there, will have to be put to death, you know? And so there was a consequence attached to not obeying that physical commandment that was of the law, you know? And he says then, and uh, the, the writer of Hebrews talks about the, um, you know, the, the reality of that moment and how essential it was that they received what was going on there. And he says, guys, that was a physical time. That was a mountain that could be touched physically. But now I'm talking to you about something that's heavenly and eternal. And if you, if you see the seriousness of him who weren't worn from earth, how much more now him who warns from heaven, hey, you know? And so there's an even greater onus on us now as the church to, to see and receive and understand what it is that the Holy Spirit is, is speaking, you know, to us now as his body, you know. So. It says here right in the middle, so watch yourselves carefully. Like, has the Holy Spirit ever warned you about something? The journey you're on isn't going to produce 
what you think it is. Like he's warning them, isn't he? It's a warning from heaven. Watch yourselves carefully. Since you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb in the midst of the fire, so that you do not act corruptly and make. Do not act corruptly and do not make. Do you think man can build his version of the church? Man's version. Yes. It's called the institution, isn't it? It's not the building of the true church, it's the counterfeit called the institution. Man is a builder, yes? He says to the Pharisees, builders, you rejected the cornerstone. A builder who does not fall upon the rock and get broken to pieces does what? Builds. And what do they build, Ollie? They build their own image of God, which is what the Pharisees had done. So if builders, which we all are, because man, woman, we're builders, we got hands, we want to build things, we want to make things happen, if we don't fall on the rock and get broken to pieces, not only will we, we remain intact, but we then go build our own things. And we call it God. And we put his name all over it. But it doesn't have the life of God because man can't build the life eternal God. But we can build stuff. And so all of a sudden now we're telling everyone what the way of God is, but it's our way. We're telling everybody what the number one priority of God's heart is, but it's our way. And the challenges, some of the things we're saying aren't necessarily wrong. They're just the wrong way round, which causes death. So he's warning them because he knows they're about to go into the promised land. And if they don't do this, then they're not going to receive what it was for them to possess. Same for us. If we don't know what it is to hear the word, how can we possess what already is in Christ? God has given us full access into the promised land. Jesus Christ is the promised land. Okay, So he had already created in the physical the promised land. It was waiting for them to be inherited. In Christ is the inheritance. It's waiting for you and I to know our inheritance. That's what we read in Ephesians 1, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Correct? That you would know what it is to know the Lord. That you would know the inheritance that is in the saints. That you would know what the power is of God. All in accordance to what? What does it say? We just read it. See, see how you can read stuff and blow over it and not know really what it's saying? So those three things I just read out, the knowledge of God, the inheritance of the saints, the power of God is all in accordance to something. And you need to know what that's in accordance to, otherwise those things remain not yours. His power. So it's his power that brings all of that, which is an inheritance to life where? In you and I. It's full access, but we need to possess what's in Christ through power. Otherwise, we too don't enter into what we should have entered into. So they never entered into their inheritance in the promised land because they didn't follow the instructions they were given. This is how serious this is. And this is what the word is saying. So in Ephesians, there's three things 
And all those things are in accordance to something. You'll see it everywhere in God. He'll give you something, but it's in accordance to this. He says this, but it's in accordance to that. And then I give you that, so that. And if we're not in that and hearing that, then we're outside of that, and life will always just be what it's always been. And we'll be no different to the Israelites. We're covered as they were covered, baptized with the blood, water, They partook of the spiritual rock, did they not? You're not sure? They partook of the spiritual rock, which was Christ in the wilderness, but never entered into their inheritance. The writer says, learn from them. They're an example for you, me. Don't make the same mistake as they did. Warning, 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 warning. Did someone say something? Did someone say something about a warning? Is it an earthquake? Is it a fire? No, the word of the Lord spoke and went, warning, are you in? Warning, are you in? Warning, don't make the same mistake those who have gone before you made. Hear the word of the Lord. Allow it to permeate you. Don't resist it. Don't deny the power of God to maintain your former godliness because when the power comes, it comes to crucify something called you. And if you deny it, you deny access to everything that you need to enter into your inheritance. And so although you go, I'm no longer a slave, I live as one. So yes, you are a son, but you live as a slave who never knew their inheritance. So you are one of the two brothers. You're either the one who blew his inheritance, or you're the one that never knew he even had it and moans when the one comes home. And we are all to be the father. So the inheritance is what is contained in understanding that you're the nation or part of the commonwealth of Israel. So he even says here, so he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform. That is the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and judgments that you might perform them in the land where you are going over to possess. So within understanding who you are, there is conditional conditions that need to be kept. There are instructions. God is expecting the people to enter and to do some things here. It's not a free ride and you do what you want. It's a free ride that gets you into covenant Can I encourage you, if you don't know what the covenant you are in with Christ, go have a look. It's serious. He's never breaking it, but the Israelites were always breaking their covenant, weren't they? Which we can do. If we're not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving others, we're breaking covenant because we're not in the covenant 
He's in it with us, but we're not able to do the very thing that the covenant empowers because that's the commandment of the covenant. You understand what I'm saying? So we're in covenant, yes, and the first instruction of the covenant is to love. And if you can't love, that means you're actually loving something else, and that's breaking covenant. Now, God's not breaking it with us. He's covering us while he wants to infuse in us his word through hearing so you can keep your marriage covenant with the Lord. Because to love a child, the Bible says you're not worthy of me. This is what he's saying. If you don't hate, if you love others and possessions more than me, church, you're breaking covenant with me. I will not break it with you. I'm loving you, hoping that you will turn, repent, hear a word that enters you so you can actually get changed on the inside and that child, that spouse, that position comes out and I come in so you can keep the covenant that I have established with you in blood. And that's why at the end of our lives, if we haven't kept covenant, you cannot be part of the marriage because you broke the covenant. You were invited to your own wedding, but you said, I'm busy. What am I busy doing? Buying houses, going on holiday, working, kids, sport, career, blah, 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 you name it. You were too busy living for you because you loved you and broke the covenant but he didn't break it with you it's the same what he's saying here so there's a massive inheritance it's all contained now in Jesus Christ and the more you know Jesus the more you keep the covenant that was established in blood when he came 2,000 years ago to reinstigate what was already in the law because he fulfilled the entire thing that's why the commandments are the greatest commandments is love It's a love covenant. And so he says things like, I'm warning you right now. If you love another, you're not worthy. And we go, oh, yeah, okay. See, this is what happened last week with Danny and I. It's like the hearing of that and the serious of that creates godly repentance, which leads to life. So this is what the true hearing is. If If you have a child or a spouse yourself a position currently in your heart it's okay but he's warning you saying it does need to change you can't expect to live like that and get your inheritance and your reward because your reward is based on loving me not the child the possession or the spouse okay once you love me you'll actually love all those unconditionally like I love them So there's a transaction that needs to happen in their hearts. So he lays it down and tells you the law and the prophets are based on only two things, loving me with all loving people. If we can't do that, then that's where we need to start because he said you can prophesy, move mountains, let your life be burnt, and it's all a waste of time if you don't have love and can't love because it's about a covenant. Everything is in accordance to something. So the, co- the commandments are in accordance to the covenant. That's why they're so important. And it's the thing that you and I can't do. See, you can't do that until you have been crucified. But what you can do with a gifting is prophesy, move mountains, raise the dead, preach the gospel. You can do all that with a gifting in the name of Jesus. What you can't do is deny you and love and keep the covenant. How crazy is this? 
I wouldn't have done it this way. He says, no, because you're not me. But what I'm looking for is why I've done it this way, because I'm looking for those who really love me, not those who just use my name, say they love me, and do their own thing. So he says, only those who do the will of my Father enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought the will of the Father was to raise the dead, heal the sick, and prophesy. Well, it's part of, but it's not all. But there's an order in which it happens, because he then says at the end, you of lawlessness, which means you of sin that did it your own way. You didn't live by faith, you live by sin. Anything that's not done by faith is sin. Not the sin that Jesus covered for. It's you are still doing it your own way. And you're taking my name and my authority and doing this. Lord, Lord, I did all these things. He says, who are you? Who are you? So when he says to the virgins, I didn't know you, he's not saying he didn't know them. When you know the entire purpose and you the scriptures and you go to 1 Corinthians 8.3, I'll read it to you. And then I'm going to be quiet. This is huge, what I'm about to read, okay? So the virgins, I don't know you five. Why? Because then he says this. If anyone loves God... He is known by God. What's that saying? God knows those who love him and keep covenant. You five, come in. You five, sorry, I know you didn't love me. You thought you did. You said you did. You did some works, but none of that was on the basis of loving me. On the basis of loving me was losing you. And you never lost you. So in you, you did all those things according to your sake, not mine. And I knew that. You didn't. Warning, 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 warning. And we have to ask ourselves and not be afraid to go there. Because it's not about being bad, it's not about being evil, it's no, there's no condemnation, it's not about being guilty, all that's been wiped clean. It's about coming into the life I was predestined for and the inheritance that the Father wants to give me and how he wants to use me, but it is all based on his conditions, his covenantal conditions, not what I think and so my life must be obedient and faithful to the conditions. Okay? Which means I need to know the conditions of the covenant that I'm in, doesn't it? I can't make it up. Well, I think, well, I feel it doesn't matter. It's already written. It's already established. It is already waiting to be discovered because it's a finished work. Can you see why it's so essential you can hear and see? Otherwise, we're going to be cutting off ears. We'll be arguing with God. We'll be like making spices for stuff he doesn't need. Why? Because we're unaware of what already is. 
and our lives aren't aligning to what is, we're trying to do it. And then we're asking, hey, bless this. He's going, actually, you're supposed to be over here blessing what I'm on. Because it's already established. It's the finished work before the foundation of the earth. Thank you, Lord. Any questions? Who's realizing their need to come to the end of themselves? Hmm. Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Realizing maybe some of the things we've been taught aren't quite cutting it. Because once again, truth is self-evident. It's only his word that makes you free. And so there's a lot of demolishing of mindsets and thoughts and ways so we can actually enter into life. It says we've got to come before him completely empty. Emptied. Jesus was emptied. Jesus was emptied. Oh, that don't that's not me. I can come full. I thought you're a follower of Jesus. So if Jesus has to be emptied and not consider a f- godliness something he can grasp, what about me and you? And the challenge is, guys, that we've been brought up in many forms of godliness. And he's got to smash them all because mindsets are holding us back. Thoughts, hard attitudes, and it's fine. We're all in this together. And so we walk together. And we hold each other. We carry one another's burdens while God, (laughs) it's this thing, it's that thing. And all we need to do is just keep the mirror here. Don't do that. Do that. What are you telling me? This is when it is all about you and him for the purpose of transformation. Someone said to me years ago, you guys are all about self because all you talk about is self. I go, no, no, we're all about being selfless. What do you mean? I said, well, when you make it about you and look in the mirror, self is going to die. And so it will never be about self because doing this means self has to die. So what's easy is to make it about Rodney. I'm going to go serve Rodney because then self can live. But when self looks itself in the mirror and goes, ooh, and Jesus is there with you, again, yeah, I see it too. What do you see? Well, I see it. And it's holding you back. That's me. So, any questions? And the peace of God is, is Christ himself, eh? you know? And I think that we're talking about hearing the word and receiving the word in us. Christ in us is that is that peace in us that enables us to, to walk, eh? 
Cool. Just, just with what Greg was saying about the, the looking in the mirror and that, and, and I was hearing while you were speaking about what we've been taught, and it's, you know, where it says that, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. So it's, it's confronting what we're being confronted with to go, that's, that's what I've been taught. Now, what have I learned? So if I'm living by what I've learned from what is taught, and a word is coming to say what's being taught's not aligning to him. That means now I need to relearn something. And that requires this this poverty of spirit to actually come broken to say everything that I have, everything that I've uh, I've been walking in maybe, I actually need to be broken. And that's why Jesus says, come yoke yourself with me and learn from me which is what I've been hearing tonight, this, this power of the Holy Spirit, who's the one, you know, my prayers, you know, the Lord spoke to me a while back and said, son, ask me for the Holy Spirit to teach you. And so I pray each time, Holy Spirit, not only teach me, but grant me a spirit that I will learn from you. You know, I have a little thing at, at, at WellTech where I teach, it says, look, you know, no, no really... No real teaching has taken place unless learning has happened. So we're looking for the learning outcomes. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, help, help me that I can learn. You're teaching me. Help me to learn from you. And I stay and remain yoked with you. But that requires this poverty of spirit, this, this poorness of spirit, so I can actually receive a word that's being heard, that I can look in the mirror and receive that word. And, um, and that's what I'm hearing now. It's this encouragement for us not to shy away but to confront what is it that I have actually learned that's not you, so that you can actually teach and I can learn what is of you, Lord. Um, some, some, some time back, um, I was moved to look at you know, the word here in Hebrew, you know, Shema. And and that's equivalent to listen, in in the scriptures, and it it, it caught me to un, to come to realize that there is no passive hearing when it comes to the word listen in Hebrew. The word listen will always follow an action, and that's what Greg has said and what what you mentioned, Paul, is that when truth is presented to you. You don't just receive it and do nothing. There is a corresponding action that is required, and if it's God's truth, it will produce that action in itself. And so when, when I tell my kids, guys, your room is in disarray, you know, and they clean it up, then that's the Hebrew equivalent. They have heard me. They have listened to me. But if they let it stay as is, no matter what they say, Dad, I hear you, I hear you. No, you have never heard me at all. Because that is the following result of the truth that is presented. And so when Jesus sent out the invitation, when he said in the parable, there's an expectation of a response. And, that, and even when God said, listen, O Israel, 
the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that response is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so it brings us, it brings me to realization, can I love God in this way? Because if I can't, I haven't heard him. We all haven't heard him. And so what we have to do is we go, Lord, reveal that word in us. You know, put that word in us. And so, so that we can live and follow it. But the beauty of that word, you know, that is not a command. That very word that God has said is a prophecy. And so if you see, Lord, if I know that you are God and you are one, then I know I will love you with all my heart, with all my strength, with my soul. That is a prophecy that God will fulfill, not of my own strength. And so whenever you hear the word listen, whenever you hear the word hear, again, um, it's not just knowledge. It's wisdom. Knowledge and wisdom together. Faith and action together. Well, that is why Paul and even James, who has the Jewish thought, couldn't understand the Greeks. He said, you know, it's, it's not about, you know, if you say you've heard, how come you don't do? Because word hearing and doing is one. So it, it scratches them head. But the Greek is no, because you heard, put it in your mind, and your mind grows. And that's enough. But no, it's not. And so that's, a, uh, you know, it, 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 it always brings us to our knees to realize, Lord, we haven't heard you. We haven't heard you. Keep speaking to us until we hear you, until we become what you have said and you promised. That's, that's awesome, man. And I think to me, it's like it says in James, you know, like that if we say, he who knows God but does not keep his commandments is a liar, you know, that true knowledge results in a true demonstration of a life lived in him and his way, you know, it is, it's, it's two in one, hey, it's here and obey, you know. to love God with all and love people none of that is negative it's like start seeing it as the value not the cost and the sacrifice the value is unbelievable it's an honor and I get to love God with the love of God and I get to love a human like Jesus loves them are you for real yeah that's who I've created you to be. And that's why it's the good news, right? You know, it's the good news because it's his life and his power in us that enables us to live in a way that we couldn't have dreamed of without him, you know. Cool. All right, I think that's us for the night. I promise we'll do questions uh, next week. <laughs> hey. To be honest, I actually don't think the Spirit wanted us to dialogue about questions. I think he wants you to hear what's been said as the thing, not what we maybe think. It's been interesting morning and night. So, Cool. Have a great week, guys. See you.